And thank you for joining me for today's broadcast of VORW International, the voice of the Report of the Week, going out to you this Thursday, the 10th of October, 2019, the year being. Thank you for joining me. Once again, we're going out to you online via many, many platforms. I hope you're having a good Thursday so far. Anyway, hopefully a good one. I'm getting this show recorded a little later than than usual, a little later than I would like to. Um, yeah, but as, as they say, no matter what, the show must go on. And that it does, that it will, and that it is. So, of course, the main subject for today's program that I kind of I teased a little bit last week, as I, as I always do, I always try to ask the question and then lead that into the discussion for the next show. And thank you to everyone who sent in a response. It's much appreciated, and I'm going to try to get to as many of them as I can this time around. So bear with me and uh, hang on. I'll, I'll try to make my way to whatever I can. I can't always guarantee I'll be able to get to everything, but I'll do my best. A few things first that I do want to talk about, a few things that I just want to mention in short, nothing too long, and I do have a question uh, for for this show. Of course, the topic, if I, if I didn't say it, is the Mandela Effect, and I'm going to be sharing your thoughts on it. Uh, we got a variety of people. Some people just miscellaneous thoughts about it. Some people strong believers, and other people are very skeptical. And just a few thoughts uh, in general about that. So I'll be getting to that in about in a minute or so. And a few small points I want to raise, first and foremost. One thing, and I really have no idea how much crossover there is in regards to this, but it's worth mentioning anyway. Because, of course, in addition to this program, I do the YouTube channel, I do the food reviews, and uh, everything in between with that. And I also do the music show, which is primarily radio-based, and I, I send it out through that. Last week was one of those weeks uh, that was very disappointing. And I outline that in the show itself, but I want to do it here in case anyone... In, in case there's any crossover. Uh, one thing about shortwave, and I hate to be a pessimist, but this is one of the reasons why shortwave as a medium uh, is dying out. And there's no other way to put it, you know, than that. Some people won't like to hear that. Um, but as a broadcaster and as someone who... You know, I listen to shortwave every single day. Uh, it's something that, of course, I admit... And one reason why it's dying is lack of consistency. You might be saying, well, what do you mean lack of consistency, right? Because the thing with shortwave radio is that from one week to the next, the way the signals are received, meaning how strong it is, how clear it is, etc., varies. Now, you, you don't see that with AM radio, and you don't see that with FM radio, and you don't see that with television or the internet, right? You know that this show, as it's broadcast online, 
is going to be there, and you're going to be able to listen to it next week exactly the same way you listen this week, right? It's still going to be there. Same thing with AM and FM radio. As, as long as the transmitters are there and are functioning properly, you'll be able to pick up the signal. But with shortwave, because it relies on the atmosphere and it relies on the sun and sunspots and you name it, and these things have so much variation, from one week to the next, the signal might be booming in, and then the next week it doesn't even exist whatsoever. And it's hard to to get an audience like that. Who's going to listen to something if you don't even know that it's going to be there the next week, right? No one. Or very few people, admittedly. Uh, so that's the frustrating thing, you know. And, and last week was one of those weeks where the 8 p.m. broadcast, that for a time was one of the most popular shortwave airings of my program, uh, it got huge amounts of correspondence. And uh, because it actually had consistency, right? Every week at 8 p.m., the signal would be there. People across the U.S. would be able to pick it up. But then there was last week... Uh, for some reason, conditions just weren't good. One person on the West Coast picked it up. Everyone else couldn't hear a, a damn thing. And it was like that show never went out to begin with. And all the promotion, all the finances that went behind it got pretty much thrown right down the drain. So it was disappointing, you know? It's like you do all this work for nothing. And it's frustrating. Now, the good news is that Obviously, this, this variation is not uniform across the board. Uh, there's some broadcasts that are a lot more consistent than others. So, I mean, here's, here's what I just have to say. I might end up pulling the plug on that 8 p.m. broadcast because I'm not willing to keep something going that I don't even know if it's going to be heard by a single person from one week to the next, right? That, th- that doesn't make any sense. When I broadcast, I want to have as much consistency as I can so that listeners, regardless of their location, regardless of their radio setup, can tune in and, you know, be reassured that they're going to hear something from one week to the next, one show to the next. So as a result, here's just what I ask. If you usually tune in to the 8 p.m. broadcasts, excuse me, (coughs) on... 9395 kilohertz or 5950 kilohertz uh, I ask you to voluntarily stop listening to that airing and consider tuning in two hours earlier at 6 p.m. Eastern listen in on 9955 kilohertz or on tune in by searching WRMI or tune in one hour later at 9 p.m. Eastern on 5850 kilohertz Those broadcasts have never given me any trouble. Uh, That's always a guarantee. They're going to be there, and you'll be able to hear them. But I just ask, if you can, just try listening to those other airings, um, because (laughs) you will get a lot more success with those. Two other things that I want to get to, and then we're going to get into the feature discussion for today's program. Uh, First things first, I enjoy my geopolitical events. I enjoy... Uh, following these, and uh, especially Syria. It's such a complicated situation, um, but it's one that I've been following for many years now, since 2014, extensively. And I've watched it developed, I've studied it, 
I'm familiar with all the sides and the rationales um, that each one uses and uh, so on and so forth. And one thing I hope everyone can agree to, to some extent, is regardless of who you support, and regardless of who you want to see win, or who you want to see lose, or what your feelings or thoughts are on the conflict, or even regardless of your level of understanding to it. Because again, I know the whole thing with Syria, there's so many sides, right? You have the Syrian government under Assad, you have the Syrian rebels, then you have the Turkish-backed Syrian rebels and militants, then you have the Kurds, and you have ISIS, and so on and so forth, and you have so many various groups, and that's only breaking the surface, you know, then each one has its own subsets, various factions, various ideologies, uh, various goals, etc. It's a very, very complicated situation, but I think one thing I hope, anyway, that everyone can agree upon is that the situation is a mess. And it, it only, you know, it seems like it just it doesn't have an end in sight, no matter what. Because the region has been plagued, of course, with violence for a very long time, and uh, it just looks like it'll keep going on. But, of course, what's really in the news is the Turkish military action in northern Syria, uh, going by the name Operation Peace Spring. And it's a large-scale Turkish military invasion of northern Syria, uh, specifically in the areas occupied by the Kurds. It's an absolutely massive conflict, probably the largest military operation going on in the world right now. Uh, tens of thousands of forces on both sides. Um, there's just huge amounts of violence going on everywhere. You know, my thoughts really just go out to all the civilians caught up in this. And I just really hope that the number of casualties is at an absolute minimum. Um, because it, you know, all, all, all this violence is, you know, it just, it causes lots of issues, regardless of who you support. And, you know, sometimes it just breeds upon itself. Uh, you know, for one way or another, it does. But that's all that I'm going to say about it. And I just suggest you research it, follow it, and know what's going on in the world. You know, you might not be in Syria, you might not be in Turkey, and it might be hard to relate and understand that this is going on as we speak, but it is. And I think it's important to be in touch with, with what's going on in the world. So study it, follow it. When it comes down to current events, always use critical thought when examining it. So with that having been mentioned, I wanted to touch upon one other newsworthy issue. And I'm going to tie it into the question for today's broadcast. I know that the audience for this program is very widespread. It's very far-reaching. And there are listeners all over the country and all over the world at that. 
One thing that's going on right now in California that has really uh, even made the international press. I was even I was listening to China Radio International this morning, and even they were reporting it, uh, which I was actually surprised to see that that even was on the news over there. Are the power outages in California? And obviously, there's a lot of debate going on about this right now. Uh, as we speak, as I'm as I'm sitting here recording the show this morning, going over to poweroutage.us, over in California right now, at an absolute minimum, there's over 600,000 people without power, uh, which is a huge amount. Some people, of course, are saying that that number can go up. Uh, other people are saying, well, maybe it'll go down. Uh, this is a controlled power outage. Uh, this is being done intentionally by the electric company Pacific Gas and Electric, also known as PG&E. Of course, that stands for Pacific Gas and Electric. And it's being done uh, in, in response to the potential for wildfires, which of course are, are common this time of year. You know, this is when it starts really getting prime, unfortunately, to happen. And PG&E said, well, one way to try to minimize the risk and avoid another disaster is by intentionally cutting the power to many areas where the winds are supposed to be high and conditions are very favorable for these wildfires. If we cut the power, this may reduce the risk for a wildfire to occur, to form, and as a result, we can dodge a bullet this time, and it'll be good for everyone involved, they say. It'll be good for you, be good for me, it'll be good for the environment, and everyone wins, right? You have a few days with no power, but at least you're still going to have your home uh, at the end of this, right? That, that's what they're saying. But lots of people aren't, aren't buying it. They're saying, yeah, but come on, really? You know, there's no... And, and this is what I'm seeing from social media. Lots of people there are getting very upset. They're saying, yeah, but I don't see any wind. It still seems uh, more humid than, than necessary for anything to form. Yet here you are depriving us of power for no reason whatsoever. So this is uncalled for. When are you going to turn on the lights? And you have these... Of course, different viewpoints. You have people that say, yeah, you know, I think it's for the best in regards to these power outages. You also have people who, again, are very, very frustrated and want the lights back on. And, of course, with that, uh, you know, internet, television, etc. Now, before anything else, for some additional info, I wanted to just read a uh, news article here uh, from the Weather Channel. Now, take it as it is. It's by Jan Wesner Childs at the Weather Channel. I just wanted to read you uh, a little bit here. It says, Power is being shut off to nearly 800,000 Pacific Gas and Electric customers in Northern California due to threats of wildfires, and in some areas, officials declared emergencies and curfews to deal with the blackouts. A state of emergency was declared for Santa Clara County as the area prepared for additional outages on Wednesday. In the city of Morgan Hill, a curfew was in place from 7 p.m. Wednesday night until 6.30 a.m. Thursday, 
as authorities worked to reduce the possibility of crime. Schools and universities were closed in some areas, and residents stocked up on groceries, batteries, and gas ahead of the blackouts, which PG&E said could last as long as five days. Over 600,000 homes and businesses in Northern California were already without power. As of Wednesday, PG&E's website has crashed due to high traffic. The preemptive outage stands to be one of the largest in the state's history, as windy, dry conditions raised a risk for wildfires in the coming days. Many of those affected are in the San Francisco Bay Area and the northern part of the state, including San Jose, Oakland, Fremont, Santa Rosa, Hayward, Berkeley, and San Mateo. The shutoff started at 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time Wednesday morning, with the first phase expected to impact 500,000 customers in 22 counties. And a second phase started at noon, with another 230,000 customers affected. And then a third phase, covering 40,000 customers, is also being considered. And the reason why they say they're doing this is because the windy conditions can cause power lines to spark fires when they're blown down or come into contact with trees and other vegetation. And the PG&E power lines have actually been blamed for several high-profile fires in recent years, including the blaze that killed 86 people last year in Paradise, California, uh, which was... Well, that one was terrible. That one was really bad. So, looking for ways to try and stop this, they said, well, we're going to uh, cut the power, and hopefully, you know, that will avoid disaster. Now, like I said, though, there are lots of people who... they aren't having it. They're upset. They're angry, and, you know, they don't buy it. Uh, Some people, of course, are even raising the possibility... Uh, You know, if you remember in the early 2000s, Enron, uh, what they did with their blackouts, some people are even raising the possibility that what if it's like that again? And it's Enron 2.0 that they're doing it for personal gain under the guise of trying to do something good. Whereas other people are countering it and they're saying, no, they're just doing this to avoid a disaster, and that's all that it comes down to. I know it's an inconvenience, but it needs to be done. So there's been lots of back and forth discussion, lots of contentious debate, and either way, lots of people without power, many of whom are getting to their wits' end, uh, wanting to just have the lights back on, have their utilities back on, and uh, get back to normal. Now, here's my question. Again, I know that there are lots of listeners in California, and whether you're listening to this show post-blackout, maybe you lost power, or whether you're across the country, I mean, I'm here in Florida with the lights going right now and uh, everything up and running. Everyone's talking about this, and I want to get your thoughts. So, here's my question, really. What are your thoughts on these power outages in California? Do you support it? Uh, would, you know, Do you think you will see more things like this going forward, do you agree with what they're doing, or do you disagree with it? Uh, Do you think that there might be ulterior motives to it? Do you think that they're just going about this the wrong way? And do you think that it's an inconvenience more than anything else? So the question to everyone, I want to hear your thoughts 
on these controlled power outages by PG&E over in California. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? Do you begrudgingly agree to say, yeah, this sucks, but I'd rather lose electricity than lose my home? Or do you say, no, this is uncalled for, this is absurd? So I want to know your thoughts. The way to do it, send me an email at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. That's v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Once again, that's v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. And I'd really like to get your thoughts on this. Uh, You can type up your message. You can... Let me know your thoughts in writing, or you can get your phone, get a microphone, and uh, record your thoughts. Just talk them out and send me the audio file. Again, though, please send the correspondence in to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, and I'll get you on the show. So it's a great way to get your thoughts and viewpoint out. Do you support the power outages? Uh, Do you oppose them? What are your thoughts? And also, to anyone who is listening in right now, who either had their power cut, or kind of is in the area and might have had the threat, or if you know someone who uh, got the power cut, I especially want to get your feedback. How did you pass the time? How did this impact you? And uh, I really especially want to get the feelings and thoughts from people who are directly impacted from this. Uh, Because more important than anything else, you know, you're in the target of this, so what are your thoughts, especially, uh, on these power cuts? So that's going to be the discussion for next uh, the next program. And, of course, in order for that to be a possibility, we need your feedback, so please consider writing in. You can keep it long or short, all up to you. You could write in as frequently or infrequently as you wish. So that's how it's done, and that's the way to do it. All right, next we're going to go over to our discussion on the Mandela Effect. And uh, before anything else, we're kind of at the midway point of the show. Consider supporting this broadcast. It stays on the air thanks to your support, thanks to everything that you do as a listener. It's listener-supported. Please consider a donation via PayPal to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. You can also support the program at Patreon patreon.com slash the report of the week one benefit of supporting this show on patreon if you do that uh, you will be able to listen to my music show every week online digitally on demand i'm archiving it on patreon again i do three music shows a week that's three hours of programming about 12 shows a month it all can be yours it's just a big thank you for supporting this program, consider it patreon.com slash the report of the week. And with that, as we transition into the next segment, please take a listen to our sponsor, Studio Sheppen. Studio Sheppen is a becoming comic book creator and storybook illustrator, and he's looking to work with any VORW listeners out there. Sheppen offers a variety of freelance artwork, from digital or traditional paintings, to handmade, customized stickers, to storybook and comic book illustrations. Whether you want to take your idea to a publisher, or have something fun to share among friends and family, he'll be happy to work with you 
to make your idea take form. For creative types out there seeking casual and friendly experience in putting together a short story or short comic book, Shepin is the artist for you. If you're interested, you can contact Shepin and browse his artwork on his home website, studioshepin.com. There you will find links to his other platforms, such as Instagram and Patreon, his commission menu for a quick price guide, and you'll also be able to browse his short and sweet collection of comic books that he's written and illustrated himself. Once again, that's studioshepin.com, spelled S-T-U-D-I-O-S-C-H-E-P-P-E-N.com, studioshepin.com. All right, so now we continue in with the program over to the discussion, and we'll be taking your comments about the Mandela Effect. And again, mostly just a general comments uh, if you think it's real, if you think it's bogus, if you're kind of on the fence about it, and if you feel you've had any experiences with it. And we've got a good diverse variety of feedback, which is great, and uh, we're going to be getting into that. Now, as an introduction, of course, I think most of us know what the Mandela Effect is. Um, but for those of you who don't, let me just give a brief recap as to what specifically it is. Now, the Mandela Effect... Of course, it is named after Nelson Mandela. A lot of people dub it as being false memories, but it really it gained to, to prominence in 2010. It's called The Mandela Effect uh, by paranormal consultant Fiona Broom in reference to a false memory she reported of the death of South African leader Nelson Mandela in the 1980s, uh, who was at the time still alive. And uh, she claimed that it was shared by thousands of other people. And other examples include memories of the Bernstein Bears, uh, previously being spelled Bernstein, S-T-E-I-N, S-T-A-I-N, uh, of a 1990s movie, Shazam, starring comedian Sinbad as a genie, uh, which never, never happened. But a lot of people remember this, you know. And then many different uh, you know, famous quotes from movies that everyone thinks is a certain way, really isn't. And you had this phenomenon where you have so many people collectively saying, wait, wait a minute, I thought, I thought this movie existed. I thought Nelson Mandela died in prison. I thought that in Forrest Gump, the quote was, life is like a box of chocolates, but it actually isn't. So, so what's going on, exactly? And that's where you have these two differing viewpoints. You have some people who just say, look, this is just the process of misremembering something. How many times do you really think about the Bernstein Bears and really think about how they're spelt. Probably not that often. Uh, you know, it just makes more sense that it would be S-T-E-I-N, but, you know, how often do you really check? Now, other people say, no, I know for a fact that it was spelt this certain way, and all of these changes happened for a reason. The prevailing theory that it comes down to is the people who believe in the Mandela Effect claim 
that there are alternate realities and that somehow things have transferred over from one to the next and that there is an alternate reality out there you know where the Bernstein bears are spelt S-T-E-I-N and that the Shazam movie really existed and that Nelson Mandela did die in the 1980s and uh, so on and that somehow these realities crossed and uh, were kind of, you know, transported into this other reality. Um, but, you know, we still have these memories, and that's what it comes down to. You, know, you have these very far-reaching theories. But either way, uh, you know, I, I personally put myself in the camp where I feel that it is false memories. Uh, that's my honest opinion. That's what I think it comes down to. Look, it would be cool if there were these alternate realities and that they happen to transfer over, and, and so on. Uh, but I just think that it's false memories. Now, interestingly enough, I mean, of course, it's interesting. I'm, I'm welcoming all feedback here, and I'm going to read a number of comments from both viewpoints. I just wanted to get mine out of the way, you know, before anything else. One interesting thing that someone commented on the last show, they said, isn't it interesting to note that the Mandela effect, all it encompasses are various corporate doings, uh, you know, such as these movies and pop culture things and commercialized books and TV series, etc., but that's not, that's not entirely true. That's the one thing I disagree with. It's not just corporate things, right? I don't think it's any means of marketing. Maybe a few things took advantage of it, but I don't think it is. Um, because granted, look, the whole thing that it's named after, Nelson Mandela, you know, it's not like he's uh, any, any affiliate there. He was a political, a political figure, right? He led a movement. And, you know, nothing in regards to that, in regards to being a corporation or anything. And I want to tell you my experience when I first read about the Mandela Effect. And the interesting thing about it always is whether you believe it or not. And I already gave my side where I stand on it. But when I first read about it, probably five years ago or so, I remember it was late at night, and I was sitting there on the computer, and they were saying the Mandela Effect. I was saying, well, what's this? I, I was reading about it. I was blown away, and it gave me this really weird feeling inside at first, like, wait, wait a minute, what? What is going on here? I was looking up at all these examples of it, and I was, like, blown away. I was thinking, no way. So you're telling me that it wasn't the Bernstein Bears? And, and the ones that really got me were in regards to geography, because I realize now, I think it's just because I didn't really pay attention to the exact geography uh, of these parts of the world, so that's what got me, where they said, you know, in this new reality, you look at South America, most of South America is very far east of North America, not due south. My mind was blown at the time. I was like, wait a minute, what? I thought it was just south. 
And then it turns out that the Panama Canal goes north to south, not east to west. Wait, you know, that was another... Uh, <laughs> I was going to use another another term. Um, experience where my mind was blown. I was going to say mind F. And then they were saying, you know, in the position of New Zealand is different. And Japan is now further north than it used to be. And for a second, or it was more like a few seconds, my I, I felt like I was blown away. I thought something maybe really is going on here. But then I kind of grounded myself, and I looked at it again, and I thought, wait a minute, well, it's certainly very weird. But how often before this did I really pay attention to the exact positions of these parts of the world, right? Yeah, not, I mean, I do now, of course. But before then, not much. I realized, I think it just kind of took advantage of my misunderstanding, misinformation of this uh, geographic knowledge, and uh, kind of played into that. So I think it's false memories, but either way, that first experience was, was mind-blowing. And uh, it's... Either way, look, it's it's always, it's very interesting to just research this type of stuff and uh, just think, hey, you know, I, that's, that's crazy either way. But those are my own personal comments on it. Um, but believe what you will. And uh, that's what it comes down to. And now we're going to take some of your comments that were sent, again, via email to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. Uh, we have a good number in writing. And we also have a number that were recorded and sent in. And Julian says, uh, my quick thought on this, and though it might seem outlandish, it is totally plausible in today's world. What if all these false memories do have some bit of truth to them? In the age of the internet, anything can be easily altered and passed as a truth. What if higher members of society or even some sort of organization, alter facts in order to study the masses and how malleable we truly are. Just a thought, um, but truly, I don't get how such a vivid memory shared by many could be wrong. So that was from Julian. Thank you for your thoughts. You know, when it, of, of course, what is real is that there are times where the facts of one situation or another, are altered and are broadcast as being the truth, right? And you see that a lot with various means of propaganda, uh, you know, to try to push one thing or another, where, you know, literally the information will be altered. And I mean, again, I've been following what's going on in Syria, and you see that so often, where something is going to happen, and... Either information is withheld, it's changed, it's altered, of course, in order to promote a certain thing, right? You see that, that does happen in today's world. I know that's not what you mean, um, but it is something that does go on to this day. Going over to Stevie, listener in New Jersey, says, there's a crazy example from bodybuilding. People always remember Franco Columbo's name as Franco Columbo. Everybody remembers Columbo, but it was actually spelt with a U. It gets weirder. There are old books 
where his name is spelled Columbo, in addition to one spelled Columbu. You'd think with both in circulation, people would remember the U's, especially since that's right, but nobody does. That was from Stevie in New Jersey. Again, another interesting viewpoint. One thing that I do notice a lot of the time with the Mandela effect things, many of them are very minuscule differences, right? Like a one-letter difference. And like, you know, to play devil's advocate, one reason why many people may misremember Columbo as Columbo is because, granted, you know, it's, it's just easier to remember. I mean, Columbo is a little more common than Columbo, and uh, that might just resonate more with people. Um, but thank you very much for your thoughts. Going over to Aaron in Texas, he says, As for the Mandela effect, I think we all have had those things that were like, I thought that was different, such as whether it's Looney Tunes, T-O-O-N-S, or Looney Tunes with the U. There are a few more examples of this, and I have racked my brain over these things since I've heard and seen in my life this effect in play. I am a pretty religious person that believes in the existence of God and believe Jesus, but I also have a bachelor's degree in education and I am a teacher. I look at the effects as a way for our minds to store past events, uh, with our minds storing this information when we access it at a later date, especially years later. Of course, with that time, there are mistakes in it that make us think differently. I do believe that there are different dimensions like you discussed in one of your other podcasts, and I think that we do have a connection with these dimensions, and this could be what we call the spiritual realm, uh, heaven, hell, etc. In my opinion, time, the way we know it, doesn't work the same there as it does in our reality. He continues to say if it was God that created the universe, physics, and everything else in it, he also created time itself, then time doesn't have any effect on him as it does on us. I just think it doesn't make sense for there to be multiple universes if there isn't a plan for this one and our lives as individuals. Thank you for your time and thank you for your comment, Aaron. Uh, Shane sends in some thoughts, says, Forrest Gump said, life was like a box of chocolates, but his mom does say life is like a box of chocolates. And I think a lot of these cases are just confusion or forgetting. Like in the case, for example, uh, who has a kid that really paid attention to the spelling of Bernstein Bears? And that's what I was getting down to. I was saying, you know, a lot of these things, how often do I really pay attention to them? Admittedly, not, not that much. But either way, it's very interesting. We have a few thoughts that I do want to get to that some listeners recorded in. Chris has a few thoughts. Welcome to the show, Chris. There are a lot of YouTube videos out there about the Mandela Effect, as you know. And, um, you know, a lot of them are, in fact, in my opinion, uh, people misremembering. And I'll give you the best example I could think of off the top of my head, and that is the, the Darth Vader quote from The Empire Strikes Back, um, where a lot of people think that changed, um, where, you know, they they misremember the quote as being, you know, Luke 
I am your father, when in fact it was, um, he went, he goes, no, I am your father. Um, and I think my theory there is that there, you know, a lot of times things happen in pop culture, um, that might take these quotes in a left turn. And I believe that Tommy Boy was a movie where, uh, the Chris Farley character quotes it incorrectly. And that becomes part of the, you know, pop culture lexicon and, um, people start remembering that. So I don't know. That's just a theory. Um, now that said, that said, let me just tell you that I really do believe something fishy is going on here. And it's unexplainable, of course, but it's because let's take the movie Moonraker. Now, Moonraker was a James Bond film that happened to be my favorite James Bond movie growing up. And they played it on HBO every day, multiple times, as they did many of these types of movies back then in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I watched it every day. I grew up with Moonraker. I would even, you know, play Moonraker at school with friends, you know, because that's the one where James Bond, uh, played by Roger Moore, goes to space. Now, there's a villain called Jaws, and he's got braces, and he's this big, tall, menacing antagonist in the film, right? Now, at the end of the film, uh, and you can Google this, uh, but he, you know, he meets the love of his life. And the reason why she's the perfect woman for him is because she has braces too. But now the Mandela effect here is she never had braces, but there's no way that she never had braces because the film, the scene doesn't make sense without her having braces. It's just, it's like, that was the whole point that she's like him. And he smiles and the braces sparkle and she smiles and the braces sparkle and now there's no more braces. So there are ones like that 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 baffle me and um, I don't know. I don't know. Is it, um, are we all in a matrix? Are we all in a matrix and the programmers are having a laugh and, you know, just kind of screwing around with us? Or perhaps it's that Back to the Future 2 effect where, you know, remember when Marty went back in time and he ran over one of the pine trees. So then when he came back, what used to be called the Twin Pines Mall was now the Lone Pine Mall because one of the trees was knocked down, leaving only one lone pine. So is that what's happening? Or is it something even crazier that we're not even considering? I don't know, but that's, that's, uh, those are my, that's my long-winded two cents. Well, anyway, thank you. I can't wait to hear this, uh, your take on it and everybody's take on it. This is going to be a great one. And then thank you, Chris, for your thoughts there. And one interesting thing that I think you see sometimes with the Mandela effect is even if you look at it objectively, right? I mean, as I always like to say, and of course, it, it, it's something that is very, it's very personal to you, uh, where sometimes you can look at these things, right? Like you said, with the Star Wars quote, that's a big one. Uh, where lots of people think that it's that, but but really, you know, you feel it's just a false memory of of uh, just one word, one word difference. But if there's something that impacts you in this level, that you're like, yeah, I, I feel that this is all mis uh, you know, misrepresentations of memory. But then all of a sudden, you have this one experience that's like, wait, well, wait a minute. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. And that's when it starts getting really weird. So, 
That's a very interesting one. Thank you, Chris. Stephanie checks in with a few thoughts. Welcome to the show. You are on the air. So I want to talk about um, the question of the Mandela effect and also what you spoke on last week concerning forgetfulness. I honestly think that um, they're both great subjects to kind of pile in together for this correspondence because I, like you, and like I'm sure a lot of your other listeners notice that our collective conscience is completely overwhelmed with information. I feel like, you know, it's not like the olden days when you got a newspaper every Sunday and you watch the five o'clock news. We are living in the newspaper and the tabloids and it's in our face all the time. We are in a soap opera, um, so to speak, at least from my point of view. Information is flooding us constantly, all day, every day, not only by news outlets and social media platforms and that kind of thing, but also just on a daily basis, those of us who are working full-time jobs and having to learn new skills um, constantly to keep up with the changes of uh, electronics and so forth, um, we're just flooded with information and newness all the time. And I don't want to sound like a, you know, sort of a, um, uh, what, what would you call it? A conspiracy theorist. But, um, I do worry about, uh, the future of our knowledge, uh, due to the fact that I feel like at this point, there's so much information on the internet that is constantly being updated, uh, opinions being put into, um, the truth and, I do feel like a lot of what we call, quote-unquote, the truth is very much becoming a lie. Um, It's really hard to get to the bottom of things now online as far as stories and as far as um, news and, and that sort of thing because there's so many talking heads out there blasting with their opinion or their politically motivated stance or this or that. There's also just those people and those reporters and just general public that want so badly just to taint the truth so that people are just left shaking their heads. And I do believe that a lot of the fact that, or a lot of the reason that we sort of as you say, dust things under the rug is because I feel like we're approaching a time or we are in a time now where we just don't know what's truth and what's a lie. And sometimes unless you're there and you see something happen as an eyewitness to something, we don't know what really happened. And that's really a scary thought. Um, You know, you did mention the Mandela effect, which I know a little bit about. um, But you can even sort of apply it to that. Because if you think about it, you know, a lot of the things that cross through um, our culture 
they just don't mean very much to us. So we take them in, um, we are entertained by them for a little while, and then they move along, and we do, we forget about them. But if you or any of your other listeners ever thought about the fact that maybe some of these things did happen, or didn't happen, and then the fact was changed later. And thank you for your feedback, and I think it was interesting that you connected the earlier lecture uh, just about forgetfulness in society with the Mandela Effect. Uh, Really, two topics that do go hand in hand, so uh, thank you very much for that. And, you know, it is one observation when it comes down to events and reporting, and of course you do see it. I mean, it's always been like that, um, but you, ju- you see it a lot. Of course, one thing is, yes, that we are bombarded with stuff. So many stimuli. You know, we're in such a connected world. We have so much to juggle, so much information bombarding us. Uh, that probably it does take a toll on our memory. So that's one thing. And, and another thing, lots of things are very highly editorialized. Lots of things really are a matter of opinion. Uh, you know, have a certain spin put on it one way or another. Might agree with it sometimes, might disagree with it sometimes. And sometimes you have events that never happened Um, but are reported as fact. And I say that having been a victim of that. I remember in 2017 when people said that I died in a terrorist attack. Uh, Obviously, that was just a group of trolls messing around. But you had major, supposedly reputable... (laughs) You know, when you're the victim of it, you just have to put that into question now. That they have these major media outlets that published to millions of people saying that I died. And they show my face on TV, show my face on their website, saying I was a victim of uh, this attack. Obviously, I wasn't. I made a video refuting it immediately. Um, But still, they published it anyway. They had, you know, people emailing me, seeing what was going on. And uh, so I understand, because again, I experienced that firsthand, unfortunately. That's why when I say in regards to so many current events, I just use critical thought. You know, examine it, take of it what you will, but just think critically. I think that's such an important thing. So thank you very much for your thoughts there. Let's go back over to the email address, and uh, we have a few more emails that I want to get to. As always, keep in mind the question and topic for the next program is about these PG&E power outages over in California. I want to know your thoughts on them. Do you support them? Do you oppose them? What are your thoughts on these outages in general? Do you think it's for the best, for the greater good, or do you think something's going on here, or it's just a very poorly executed idea? Your thoughts and feedback are welcome and strongly encouraged to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. And now, like I said, back over to the email. We got two that I want to get to. Uh, Dallin says, I think that collectively, humans think very similarly. Many examples of the Mandela effect are things that aren't completely well-known amongst everyone in the world. So I think that human brains fill in the blanks. What did we know about Nelson Mandela? 
and for the common person, the fact that he is in prison, so our brains assumed he must have died there. Bernstein is an odd word in general. No one would truly remember exactly how to spell it, seeing as we read them when we were young children, so our brains assume that it must be spelled with an E. Truly, I think that it is humans as a species and the way our brains work. It is actually really interesting to see how we make these connections and, quote, memories, unquote. Sounds from Dallin. Thank you for your thoughts. And Jamie sends in a piece of feedback saying, In short, I believe it is simply people misremembering something popular. However, I have a good example of how this effect might work, at least when it comes to movie quotes. Let's, for example, take Darth Vader's iconic line, Luke, I am your father, which is actually, no, I am your father. Now, the reason people say the former is because it makes more sense by itself, taken out of context. If you simply say the phrase, no, I am your father, it doesn't make much sense. However, when you say the phrase, Luke, I am your father, you understand that the person is talking about Star Wars, which is easier to remember. I think this is the same as your example of the Forrest Gump quote, the phrase, life is like a box of chocolates, make more sense uh, out of context than life was like a box of chocolates, because the latter is only part of a full quote uh, where Forrest is talking about his mother. The full quote being, Mama always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, of the two abbreviated quotes, life is like a box of chocolates is remembered more because it sounds like a piece of wisdom in and of itself, whereas life was like a box of chocolates requires the context of Forrest's mother. So basically, popular movie quotes are easily remembered differently because they provide contextual information about the quote, making it easier to remember. Sounds from Jamie. Thank you very much for your thoughts and feedback there in regards to Mandela Effect and the movie quotes. All right, we have a recording coming in from Eric in Atlanta, Georgia. It's great to hear from you again, Eric. Uh, Let's hear your thoughts. Hey, John. Eric in Atlanta here again. I just wanted to chime in for your Mandela Effect discussion. Uh, I have some interesting thoughts on the Mandela Effect. I don't know personally if I believe in it, but I've experienced it, if that makes any sense. Logically, and I'm a very analytical person to an obnoxious degree, but logically it doesn't make sense. The more obvious and logical explanation for it is that somehow some collective consciousness thing is going on and seeds of false memory have been planted throughout society and at some point people just misremember things. But it is bizarre, isn't it? How many people can share the same, quote, false memories? The only other potentially scientific explanation I can think of really is something to do with the multiverse theory, but that is so deep and complex that I I don't even know where to begin with it. The two examples that I 
personally feel the most strongly about, as silly as they are, is the Genie movie. Kazam, I believe people remember it being called Sam, something like that. I remember a Genie movie starring Sinbad. I remember it as clear as day inside of my head to an excruciating level of detail. And that's very strange to me because a lot of people do as well. Other people. Now, the other one, besides the Berenstein Bears one that seems 75% of people remember, is the Fruit of the Loom logo. And when I was a kid, I remember that logo being a cornucopia of fruits. It was in a wicker basket. Looks like a horn full of fruits. But apparently that was never the case. Apparently it was always just a pile of fruit. Now, if you look this up, other people remember this cornucopia as well and have drawn it exactly the way that I remember it as a child. And I think that's really hard to explain. I don't understand it. I, it makes my brain hurt. It makes sparks come out of my ears. I, I, I don't get it because the feeling and the memory is so real and vivid. But apparently, scientifically and logically, it simply never happened. And that's very hard to parse inside of your brain. But how could that possibly be? I remember this so clearly, but it never happened. Like I said, I know that in all seriousness, it probably didn't and I'm misremembering it. But some part of me thinks something is afoot with this. And I don't want to sound like a crazy person, but it's one of the only conspiracy theories that I can see myself potentially subscribing to with enough push. Anyway, that's all I've really got to say on it. I appreciate your show. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. And thank you, Eric, for your feedback there. And as you said, right, and this is kind of also playing off of you know, something similar that other listeners said as well, where you can be logical and analytical and try and look at it with a reasonable approach. And many of these things you can you know, try and debunk. Say, yeah, I think this is, comes down to the false memories. But at the same time, I mean, I think we all like to put a certain degree of confidence in our own memory, right? This is what we have to go off of, so you got to put some level of, of confidence and backing to it. And when you remember something so vividly, so clearly, only to find out that it never happened to begin with, Right, I understand how that can make you even just do a double take on this situation and make you think, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, and, and that's one interesting thing that you brought up uh, that no one else yet has, but it is, a, it is a popular one, right, the Fruit of the Loom logo. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Again, granted, it's not something that I really think about, but... When you mentioned the cornucopia, in my mind, that's how I always envisioned it. And like you said, people, so many people remember it so vividly that they even illustrated it. And seeing the illustration, I think to myself, yeah, that's, that's how I remember it. I remember that cornucopia being there. Uh, but in reality, yeah, it's just that pile of fruit, uh, which is an interesting one for sure. Was it likely misremembering, because again, we don't really think too much about the Fruit of the Loom logo, probably, but at the same time, 
it's certainly an interesting one when this is just how you've envisioned it, and then it's different. And it, it's, it's, it's just, it always is a bit of a shock, I think the best way to put it. So thank you again for your feedback. Uh, we've got time enough for an email coming in, let's see, coming in from Sean in Montreal, Canada, regular listener, and he has a few thoughts. He says, I've experienced deja vu during times of anxiety and stress, and although I cannot remember experiencing the Mandela effect, I bet this is a mass manifestation of this when it comes to the feeling itself. I believe that our brain fills in a lot of the data our sense systems do not provide. It corrects and cleans up both audio and visual inputs. Uh, just compare the job your brain does with raw audio and video data recorded by recording devices, and it's stunning the details the brain fills in. When it comes to raw audio or narratives, the brain fills in the blanks subconsciously. It runs algorithms to find the most probable causes or events to fill in gaps, and it does this on an emotional and informational level behind the scenes and instantly. Uh, this is a survival skill, but can also cause things like prejudices and even racism or tribalism as well. Now, like software algorithms to fill in missing gaps in data or autocorrect input, the collected brains of a society, which mostly share the same cultural inputs, will often correct the same ambiguous data the same way. This is especially true when you have inputs which are contrary to the expected stain versus steen, or perhaps difficult to understand in the moment life is slash was like a box of chocolates. When it comes to the Forrest Gump, in a sentimental scene like this, our brains are expecting him to utter some aphorism, and those are most often in the present tense, because they are general saying, not the past tense. So, interesting feedback from Sean over in Montreal, Canada. Thank you so much for your feedback, Sean. Great to hear from you. And now I just wanted to open up the inbox and see if there's any miscellaneous feedback. Uh, it's interesting. We got a lot of great, diverse response in regards to the Mandela effect. And uh, that's what this is all about. That's why I like getting all different viewpoints. Uh, because I, just, I don't want the show to just be you know, 20 emails, one after the next, saying it's false memories, it's false memories, and so on, or saying that it's real. So I like having a little bit of everything. We put it all together, and uh, that's what this show is all about. So thank you all so much for taking the time to create and compose such wonderful responses, and uh, it's always appreciated. And again, if you have any thoughts on the ongoing power outages in California, love to hear them. Like I said, it's these responses that make the show, so consider sending one in to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. We have, I think, time enough for about three emails that I, I can get to that focus on some miscellaneous subjects. Stay tuned. All right, so then going over to some miscellaneous feedback that came in. Again, two or three emails that I want to get to. And then that's just what it comes down to. Sarah in Wisconsin says, I was thinking cryopreservation would be a good topic for a show down the road. 
it would stir up some talk about the consequences of immortality on the world and on our mental health if it's wrong to pause yourself at death's door until we come up with everything we need to revive people. There's about 1,500 people in the U.S. today that are signed up to be preserved. That's from Sarah in Wisconsin. Thank you for your topic suggestion there. And uh, that might be an interesting one for a full-length uh, you know, discussion. It would be interesting. Cause I, I remember, again, years ago, back in, maybe it was 2015 or 2014, when I did ask a question uh, to, to the audience, it was in regards to immortality. And I was saying, you know, let's say you were somehow offered it. Uh, would you take it or not? Right? You can never die, no matter what. You're always going to be around. And it was an interesting one. and it, it, it invoked a lot of very interesting responses. So that might be an interesting one to, to bring up once again, because, it, again, it, it, it just had some very thought-provoking discussion. Um, but, of course, in my opinion, when it comes down to cryopreservation, it, it is what it is. If someone wants to go ahead and sign up for this, and they have the resources to do so, and they're willing to put forth the capital to, to go about doing it, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's not hurting anyone. And if they want to do it, then they can go ahead and do it. You know, results aren't guaranteed, but that's just what they choose to do. So, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, really, the biggest question to me would be any sort of success rate. Obviously, at this point, it's not the case, but, I mean, who's to say going forward? Uh, maybe there will be a day where we will advance to that point where, you know, you, you can bring back people. But then that also asks the question, right? Like, let's say you have... It gets to the point, right? We're in the space, I'm just thinking hypothetically, from when they started preserving people cryogenically to, let's say, the time where people can be brought back from that and be revived. Like, imagine if there are, all of a, all of a sudden, tens of thousands of people ready to be brought back. And let's just say the resources exist, but maybe it's a very expensive, uh, time-consuming process, takes huge numbers of resources to do. And they might be like, well, why should we go through all this effort just to bring back some nobody? Uh, you know, there's no reason. What's the point? Forget about that. Uh, let's make space for someone more important. <laughs> you know, who's to say that won't happen? Um, but maybe they would commit to their uh, goal and bring everyone back. <laughs> it's interesting, anyway. Thank you for your question. And then I think we got time enough for one more. Uh, this one is from Abby. She says, Any tips for someone trying to break a legitimate computer and smartphone addiction? I find it fascinating that you didn't, and I assume still don't use technology often. Now, admittedly, you know, I do use technology pretty frequently. And, you know, I'm not glued to my phone constantly. I mean, I think since I've been up, 
I might have only looked at it one time today, and that was just to check the the time, really. Um, but otherwise, I'm more of like a just a old school computer person. So I just do most of my work, most of my stuff. I think one thing that is a huge issue, obviously computer and smartphone addiction does exist. I think really it's more of an internet addiction than anything else. Uh, It's not necessarily the devices themselves, if they were disconnected or had no internet, uh, but of course it's what can be accessed through these devices, which is why we spend so much time on them. I don't think in today's world, considering how connected we are, unless you live, like, off the grid, and you're completely self-sustainable, and you're like a survivalist, and you can do this, uh, it, it isn't, I don't think, possible or necessarily wise to completely disconnect in today's world. So, I think the best thing is is essentially a compromise of just being able to cut down the time spent. You're always, you know, trying to do it cold turkey and just say, all right, fine, I'm not going to use it anymore, it's done. Uh, You're going to be clawing up the walls and you'll be back at it again. And then, you know, you just might feel bad. You'll be like, you know, this didn't work out, I tried and I failed, and, you know, it won't necessarily leave a good feeling. But... One thing that might be the best to do is try and cut back little by little. I mean, let's just say of the waking hours you you have per day, you spend 12 of those hours on your phone or on the computer. And that might sound like a lot, but I think that's very true for many of us at this point in time. I mean, when I go out, I always see everyone, you know, their head down looking at the phones, etc., So I think that's a very um, likely number. Try and say, all right, you know what? I'm going to try and cut it down to 11 hours. Hey, that's not much. But you know what? It's doable. You're still going to have lots of time on this, but it's going to be one hour less. And look at that free hour and say, you know what? I'm going to dedicate this to something else, and it's going to be hard. I'm going to dedicate this to going out, enjoying nature, exploring the world. Maybe I'll use it for an extra hour of sleep. Uh, Maybe I'll use it to do some reading or listen to the radio or work on, you know, my projects, drawing or whatever. And something that isn't inherently internet connected. And it's probably going to be hard at first. Like, you'll first go into it, and it's, it, it's going to be like, this is great, I'm doing it. And then it's going to be like, all right, I want to check uh, Instagram or whatever. And then it's going to be tough. And you might find yourself looking at the clock, and it'll be like, all right, when is this hour going to be over? But keep at it. And eventually, once that's incorporated into your schedule, then make it two hours. Make it three hours of that time. Or one other thing that you can do is say, look, I can still check my phone, can still check the computer, but try and do it less. And try and interspeed that with doing other things that, again, aren't tied to that. That might be the best balance 
you're still being able to check things, make sure everything's going as it should, but at the same time not becoming utterly dependent on it. Those are a few thoughts anyway. It's a very difficult thing and something that I think we all deal with, all experience. I know there's many, many good internet resources out there to, to help you through this. And with that, that's all that I have for today's program, going out to the 10th of October, 2019, 1010. And remember, next week's program feature a variety of topics, um, but again, the main discussion is going to be the power outages in California. With that, thank you for listening, and do take care. I'm your host, the Report of the Week.